Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning, and please be seated. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center in a very rainy Santa Monica today. Um, it's just like the song, It Doesn't Rain in, in California, it pours, and it is coming down today. Um, we have a very interesting show for you today. Um, we're going to be covering um, the top stories of 2011, um, now that we've just completed the third quarter, and we have our good friend Dan Tynan back to talk, talk about that. Um, Rebecca Manikin is going to give us a very brief update on the Amazon situation. And then in the second half, um, we're going to cover the net neutrality. And um, it's, it's very contentious right now. The FCC is being sued by proponents and opponents of net neutrality. And um, we're going to hear why. And um, with, um, we have a guest from, from freepress.net who's going to talk about their lawsuit against the FCC. So all that to this in a few minutes, but first, let me bring on Dan Tynan. Dan, are you with us? I am with you. Hi, Bennett. Thank you, Dan. It's great to have you again. Um, and um, for those of you who uh, do not recall, Dan is um, a distinguished um, tech writer. He's written a number of pieces lately, actually, on, on a variety of interesting topics, um, from cyber harassment to um, some of the events going on with and privacy. And um, but Dan also is the uh, the founder of eSarcasm. Um, a very entertaining and amusing blog, and uh, also you have a, a hump day. Um, you usually have a hump day hottie, I believe, and today is hump day, so I'll have to check out who that is. But in any event, Dan, um, we brought Dan on to talk about 
some of the top stories so far of 2011 now that we're three quarters of the way through. And Dan, what, what's the first one that comes to mind? Now, first, I have to say thank you for calling me distinguished. I think that's the first time in my life that's ever been applied to me. (laughs) (laughs) Extinguished, yes. Distinguished, very rarely. Um, You know, it's funny. uh, You know, when we talked about doing the show yesterday, and I started to think about the big stories for the last three months, and, you know, usually, uh, you know, July, August, September, they're really boring months, especially in high tech. They're very sleepy and slow, and the stories are silly. But clearly, the industry did not get the memo because it, it was the most wild, rambunctious time in recent memory in terms of big stories. So it's hard to pick the number one story, but I'm going to go with what I'm calling the CEO shuffle. Okay. Because Apple, Steve Jobs officially stepped down and handed it over to Tim Cook. Yahoo, Carol Bartz got kicked to the curb and replaced by Tim Morse. And HP, Leo Apotheker, got booted, and Meg Whitman got inserted in place. Uh, and all of those things happened within about two weeks. And I can't remember a single instance, uh, era in the past, where big, enormous changes at the top of the food chain happened like that. Yeah, that is rare. I mean, there have been such mainstays in that, in that field. Yes, and then I if mean, you go back, you take Google as well, which Schmidt's departure yeah. recently. Schmidt, I think in May or April or May, handed the reins back to Larry Page. He took the training wheels off uh, and said, go for it, Larry. And Larry immediately started making pretty big changes to Google, too. So um, the question then arises, of course, will Balmer be next? You know, you, and you that's, mean the uh, CEO or the city? No, not Baltimore. Not Balmer, like they say in The Wire, uh, but Balmer, as they say in Redmond, um, or as I call him, the mad Balmer. Um, whether Sweaty Steve will last the year at the top of Microsoft. And there's been a lot of speculation about that. Um, Most recently, uh, the board actually gave him a raise, said, Steve, you're underpaid. We want you to have more money. And so um, they seem to be behind him, but uh, a lot of people aren't. Now, uh, one thing that I I think uh, I've noticed also as a a story is is really – I sometimes refer to it as giants behaving badly, <laughs> and, uh, and and we're not referring to the New York or San Francisco giants, although coincidentally, <laughs> today is the um, 90th anniversary of the first radio broadcast of the World Series, which featured the New York Giants against the New York Yankees, and the, the Giants won that one. Um, that was about two years before the Yankees even won their first series. So, any event, um, <laughs> my new point number one. But um, in, but in terms of um, Giants behaving badly, you know, it's the usual quarterly Facebook screw up on privacy. Oh yeah. Um, it's Apple finding you know re- just re- revealing that they're you know, tracking people on a geo-targeting basis without revealing it. You know, there seems to be a lot of that going on this year. That, that people, um, companies that really should know better. We're just stepping on it. Oh, yeah, in terms of privacy and tracking. Uh, you know, I'm actually glad this stuff has come to the fore because not that, I'm, that it's happening, but that people are talking about it because, uh, and I'm going to toot my own hair, horn here. I wrote a book on privacy a few years ago, and I think 17 people bought it. But in it, uh, I said, you know, the future privacy is location privacy. You know, that's where the next battle will be fought. That's where people are going to start to get really hinky really fast. And it has come up a lot this year. 
Um, it has come up in various ways from things like Foursquare and, you know, Gowalla and services where you say, hey, I'm here, uh, to um, things like Apple, you know, and other smartphones that actually are recording your location to even Facebook, which is also, in a way, tracking you across the web and also recording the location of everywhere you've logged in from uh, and keeping it in a little file for you. Um, there's a lot of data from a lot of different sources that, you know, if put together, could map out pretty closely what many of us do every single day and where we do it. No, that was an issue we talked about last week where, um, you know, um, we had um, the, the, we had the Forbes um, top privacy blogger talk Cash, about Cash Hill. Cashmere, yeah. yes. Um, yeah. Cashmere, and she talked about um, OnStar, that they were – you're going to you know try to use the data that initially they were collecting solely for or safety purposes. Well, it's interesting. I actually met with the OnStar folks a few weeks ago. Strangely enough, um, they have actually been pretty good. I, I talked to them too when I was writing my book, and they are pretty. They have been so far pretty good about not abusing the data they have because they have a lot of it. So it's interesting to me that she she was talking about that because it's something I hadn't heard before. Um, but it is. Concern. Uh, OnStar in particular is, you know, if you have a fully fledged, you know, OnStar equipped vehicle, they can do all kinds of things. You know, in addition to tracking, you know, your movements, uh, they can also, you know, basically brick your car. <laughs> they can keep you from driving it. They right. can help a As repo we saw guy. In, um, bad, was it Evil Bosses, that movie from the summer? Horrible Bosses? I, I missed yeah. that one. But. So uh, I wasn't aware they were planning to do any marketing data, but I'd be surprised because, by and large, they've been pretty good actors in this. They have not abused the data. Uh, it's a it's a question mark for other folks. The cell companies, in particular, I'm really curious to see what they're going to do with the data because they have more of it than anybody. Um. Wow, I'm, I'm looking at your 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 book on uh, on Amazon. And you can get it new for eleven bucks. <laughs> I'll sell you the copies I have for nine. But the, uh, <laughs> the but you can get it used for a penny, uh, which is about as bad as <laughs> I, I have one thing on Amazon, and, and I, I think it was for like two cents. And so I, I think they, I think they, they, but in my case, I think they paid you the two cents. <laughs> well, but, you're out um, one. So mine's a deal. Mine's a steal compared to your book. Yes, um, Computer <laughs> Privacy Annoyances by Dan Tynan, um, yeah, available little, on Amazon. It's a little bit out of date. Other fine bookstores. When I wrote it, uh, Internet Explorer six was the big browser, and Chrome didn't exist to give you some idea. So it could use some uh, dusting off and updating. But about half that book is about things that don't have anything to do with computers. They have to do with uh, you know, warrantless searches, and they have to do with what do you do when the cops show up at your door? You know, what are your options? And um, how is data that's collected for one purpose used for another purpose, like FastPass data? Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be used so you can zip through the toll booth that I'm having to pay every time. But it can also be used to track your location and verify that you were or weren't in a certain place at a certain time. And it has been used that way many, many yes. times. Yeah. So, in fact, where you um, so, in, in South um, South Korea, um, there was a, a device where women could track their husbands, where they you know monitor their husband's car, where they were um, from home. 
And then apparently the, the marketplace responded by creating a device for husbands to um, you know, create a decoy for where they, where they were. So, I mean, the whole uh, location-based you know, um, issues that arise are, are interesting because on one level it, it is a great convenience. I mean, especially when you're in an area that's unfamiliar to you or you know, to say, hey – you know, here's a pizza place, or here's whatever. Here's what you need, and um, but at the same time, you know, there's nothing more personal than really, you know, who, who you are with and where you go, and um, and so there's there is a creepiness factor that, that sets in. Um, to paraphrase, um, you know, a, a common. Um, some, I'm sorry. Eric Schmidt said it. We get it right up to the creepy line and back away. Yes, I mean it's a common, you know, especially when it comes to behavioral targeting. Um, you, you hear that word as well, um, but I think that's the, you know it's, there has to be a certain level of sensitivity there. I think, and um, so the question is, is how, how have um, the the people we've been monitoring so far in the in your top stories list, how have they performed on the creepiness factor? Well, you know, unfortunately, the problem with this is. We kind of know that companies have the ability to track us. We don't know how much of it they've actually done. And we certainly don't know, if they have done it, what's happened to the data. And that's the biggest problem, is it's all a question mark, and there are no rules. Uh, there have been just a, a handful of court cases surfacing that talk about things like, you know, can you track location of cell phone? Can you use a suspect's cell phone location to track, you know, nearby associates? There have been a bunch of these working their way through the courts, but we're really at the very first stages of what's going to be a really long battle. So we don't know, you know, we have a vague idea uh, that Big Brother is out there, and Big Brother has a lot of different faces. Well, we don't know what's going to happen 10 years down the road from having all this data. So that's the scary part. Now, um, we have a, a listener in the chat room. Now, he's wondering about, in fact, there's a the bill pending in Congress that it's written under the guise of uh, um, pre- preventing you know, child pornography and, and, and child you know, pedophiles on the Internet. But it's actually a, a, a mandate for... ISPs to keep data indefinitely and for yeah. the government to get access to it. And, um, and so one of the listeners is curious about um, whether we think um, that w- there would be a point where um, that can be accessed without n- notice to a user that you know, um, law enforcement or some, you know, someone, a third party, is looking at their data. Absolutely. It is a huge question. Uh, I know that ISPs don't want to have to store this data. They don't want to be compelled right. to store it. And if for another reason that it's expensive and, and painful and time-consuming for them to do it, and it doesn't profit them in any way. But, you know, so they are actually trying to fight this bill as well. But the notion is that, you know, everything you do passes through your ISP's wires, or if your ISP is a wireless company, you know, through their, um, their towers and their servers, and can be recorded because it's digital. Uh, and it can be associated directly with you because they have your name, they have your account number, they have your, your phone number, very specifically to an individual, and that can become a dossier. Now, uh, you know this better than I, being a lawyer, but if an attorney wants you know records and he goes to your ISP, I don't think your ISP is under any legal obligation to tell you. 
Um, generally, in, in civil cases, the ISP provides you notice. It, there's, there's certain consumer protections that an ISP has to provide that notice in, in a civil setting. Civil but setting, but what a, about criminal? In a, in a criminal setting, um, often you, a demand could come with a gag with a gag order, right? And in that respect, and that they don't want to be tip, tipped off. So, in that respect, then um, you know the consumer won't know. And um, which is kind of somewhat consistent with the purpose of a law enforcement warrant anyway, um, and right. not to let the consumer know that they're being watched. But um, so, yes, I mean, that that happens today. But it also allows for fishing expeditions, theoretically. It allows for a law enforcement agent to say, gee, I want to know what everyone on Earthlink has been searching for. I want to find out if anyone on Earthlink has been searching for kitty porn. Right, and I think that's you know that's kind of the debate that's going on right now in Congress is to what extent um, that type of data requires a particularized warrant versus a mm-hmm. a general warrant, and um, you know it is it is something that is ripe for abuse. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, now, granted, there were some liberalization and warrant requirements in the '90s um, to in order you know in order to allow warrants to deal with mobile devices and the right. fact that people frequently switch mobile devices. So you could have a, um, a warrant that attached to multiple devices rather than having to get one for each phone. And um, so that they're actually, that debate has been reengaged and the people leading the debate um, are the ISPs. And in this case, they're being a vanguard of privacy, but also, as you indicated, it's also expensive for them, but they want cl- clear rules to apply right right um, and the other problem of course whenever you collect data it becomes a target for somebody or something uh, right. either it's a target for someone outside who might want to hack into it or an, a government agency that might want to access it or it's a target for someone inside who sees an opportunity to make money off of it um, and sell it in different ways Probably the the biggest privacy violation, the most common that happens again and again and again, is data that's collected for one purpose but used for another. Right. And, and, and that's once what it's collected, seeing. that's what happens. Right. So. And that's where we talked about that last week with the whole um, Barnes. Excuse me. Try not to cough. We talked about that last week when the whole Barnes and Noble and Border, um, you know, issue where in the bankruptcy court. Um, is an issue to what extent the data can be transferred to Barnes and Noble um, because of the way the privacy policies are written. Right. And um, so, what's um, what's number three on your list? Yeah, we've gotten all serious in talking about privacy. Um, let's see. Uh, another big story that we haven't really talked about um, is Google swallowing Motorola Mobility. Which you know is is significant for a couple of things. One, of course, is that you know here we have this essentially an advertising company that provides mostly free web services, going and buying you know historical you know leader of cell phone technology. So it's a software hardware merger in a way. Um, it brings up the question of can Google actually function as a company that sells hardware because you know they tried with the Nexus One and failed pretty bad. Did a pretty bad face plant. Um, Google is notoriously bad at customer service, and cell phone sales are all about customer service. Right. So, but there's also a bigger question, and a lot of people point out that they may have bought Motorola Mobility 
simply for its patent portfolio. Interesting. And, and they may have bought that patent portfolio simply for protection because it's gotten crazy out there with the patent battles. Uh, and everybody's suing everybody else, uh, and nobody feels secure. Be. As it should be, because, oh, yes, it, fine. You, yeah, you do great. Internet Law Center, woo-woo. But the rest of us, <laughs> not so good. <laughs> um, you know, and that brings up, you know, Apple versus Samsung, you know, battle, which is now happening, which hasn't happened in the States yet, but is springing up everywhere else. It's in Europe. Now it's in Korea. And Samsung's suing Apple back. And it's all about, you know, patents and royalties. It's right. about suppressing competition or really collecting the VIG. It reminds me of The Sopranos. You know, they want people to pay protection or they'll break their thumbs. Well, that's... that's that's what's happening in the world. And it, I think it's insane. But, uh, you know, Google spent $12 billion on Motorola Mobility, at least in part, for that reason. Well, I guess, yeah. I mean, the, you, know, you could argue The Sopranos is, a, is a, its own level of exclusivity. And um, actually, I, I grew up in a very mafia-oriented area, and and um, my people were so unaware how dominated by the mafia it was that they were surprised to go to a, a Chinese restaurant and not have Italian bread. <laughs> <laughs> I kid you not. Italian bread. Chinese restaurants in Providence had um, Italian uh, bread. <laughs> but anyway, um, what? What do you have you been following the Right Haven demise? No, I mean I think that that is a I think that's a big story for this year. In that you know it was it was one of the the bigger stories of last year in the way that they they came on and more or less launched an assault on the blogosphere, and then to find out that it was all based on more or less a fraudulent notion, and um, to see them more or less see them twist in the wind and you know get you know, kicked by judge after judge um, certainly is a, a well-deserved comeuppance, but um, it, it's a major surprise considering where they were at the start of the year. Yeah, I'm just looking at it now. I remember that story. I didn't actually I didn't actually write about that story. I don't write that much about that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, it is, I mean, I don't know where, where it's going in terms of copyright reform and patent reform. I know that where it has been going has been, I think, in the wrong direction. You know, copyright owners are actually getting more rights than now, I think we originally intended. Now, so, what do you think about um, the international component? Um, you know, it seems like there's a potential that Europe could be going one way on some certain um, privacy or even copyright issues than when we're going. Well, that's been happening a while. Um, and it is difficult, and it's getting more difficult. Uh, you know, it's sort of a bigger overarching question, uh, which is beyond the scope of my ability to talk about it, but also there's a radio show, which is, okay, Internet's dominating everything. Internet doesn't have borders. What laws apply to the Internet? Is it United possible? States, of course. Of course. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Because um, everyone speaks English. And eats McDonald's hamburgers. So, but you know, it's going to come up at some point. There, there, it could conceivably be its own little nation unto itself. You know, the laws of the internet. Uh, there would have to be some sort of international agreement because, yeah, they are dividing. The EU has had stronger privacy protections pretty much forever. 
uh, than the U.S. In part because you know they had to live through fascism, and we didn't. So and, well, I understand I just, what's going on. I mean, I don't know if that's it. I just think there's a certain. Um, they are certain, certainly more guarded when it comes to data than um, than we are. And I don't know if that's a cultural or, or you know from a, a more just a, a structural um, issue that that creates that. But um, you know, it's definitely it's it's I, I see it as something um, coming to a head in the near future, be, due to social media and and Europe's insistence mm-hmm. on having a right to be forgotten. But um, before we forget. Um, we're going to take a short break for these messages, and when we come back, we'll have Dan Tyden talking about the top stories of 2011 after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. From the creators of We Build Pages, experience the power of the Internet Marketing Ninja. <laughs> An exclusively trained army of nearly 100 in-house ninjas. Mastered in the arts of social media, local marketing, content creation, SEO reporting, and yes, link building. The Internet Marketing Ninjas will release a new version of their legendary tools to the public. Visit the Internet Marketing Ninjas booth at PubCon 2011 Vegas or visit imninjas.com. The ninjas are coming. As you know, being an expert at f- What did she say? Requires lots of practice and a great tool. Think you could use some help with f- Whoa! You're not alone. Hundreds have used our tool to take their f- performance to the next level. The language! Of course, we're talking about managing Facebook ads on Aquizio. Oh... Buy, track, manage, optimize, and report on media across all major ad networks. Visit Aquizio.com to get a demo today. Aquizio. Search, social, display, one platform. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Start your search engine and put your servers into overdrive. It's WebmasterRadio.fm steering you into the winner's circle. WebmasterRadio.fm, we're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back on this rainy day here in California with Dan Tynan, um, Dan with eSarcasm.com. And we're talking about the top stories of 2011 in, in, in the Internet space. And, Dan, um, you, you're a big fan of Facebook and you write about it frequently. Um, what, what about Facebook this year has struck you as being a, a big story? 
Well, um, I would say I'm probably the world's second biggest Facebook fan uh, in that regard, and I think your wife is number one. I think that's true. <laughs> whenever I go there, she's always there. Um, now, I have, I have my problems with Facebook, actually. Uh, I, I am on it a lot. I use it. But, you know, it's, I don't know, it's like that, you know, brother-in-law sleeps on your couch and, you know, he's fine for a while. And then he goes off in a bender and comes home and, you know, destroys all your crockery or something. Every few months, uh, Facebook seems to have to compel to go and do something stupid. And uh, it has done it again recently. Um, you know, it's very clear that Facebook is feeling competition from Google Plus because it rolled out a lot of changes all at once in terms of its interface in terms of you know how you can you know personalize your home page in terms of the information it shows you about other people on your home page uh, but it also uh, how it interacts with other sites and so it introduced what Mark Zuckerberg liked to call frictionless sharing in quotes Careful uh, I say that yes no kidding I might sound like that last commercial about managing Facebook ads <laughs> um, and you know frictionless sharing is causing a lot of friction because what that means is that if you go to a site like Huffington Post uh, or Washington Post or some other site that uses a Facebook, quote, social app, unquote, and you agree to its terms, from that point forward, anything you do on one of those sites is broadcast to all your Facebook friends. So you don't have to click like. You don't have to say, you know, well, I don't want my friends knowing I read that story about, you know, the porn star. Um, it just happens. And you're kind of given a one-time notice, and that's it. Uh, and that has uh, a number of people upset uh, because of the potential for embarrassment, if nothing else. But also the idea that you know you're not logged into Facebook, you're not consciously sharing it. The site is sharing it for you. And then, of course, you know where does that data go? What happens to it? You know all the usual questions. But that has gotten people's attention. You know, focused on Facebook and privacy all over again. And I'm sure that wasn't their intention. And um, it's interesting, uh, if you go to Kashmir Hill's blog um, today, um, she actually has um, a post about Mark Zuckerberg. Um, no, I really do use Facebook all day long. And, um, and then also apropos to our discussion about the CEOs, um, from the bad idea file, I guess who's going to be fired next contest? That, that really would, <laughs> that would definitely spur uh, morale. But um, so... Um, but it, it seems that Facebook just has a knack for stepping on it. And um, maybe it's just because they're in uncharted territory or that they just, it, it's a young team. Um, but, you know, I, I felt bad. You know, I, um, their, their former privacy director, Chris Kelly, who's you know, a great mm-hmm. guy and you know, very um, committed to privacy, when he, he ran for attorney general and he, you know, he, stepped, he stepped down for Facebook, ran for attorney general, and then like all hell broke loose at Facebook and um, def- definitely, did, they didn't give him. Um, they didn't definitely help his candidacy that year. It seemed. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I know. It's. I think what it is. I think there's. I don't think it's unique to Facebook. I think it happens with a lot of um, people, uh, companies, Google, Microsoft, you know, and Facebook and Apple. Is they become very insular. Uh, they have. They develop a culture where everyone who works there stays there all the time. The only people they see are other people who also work there. The only thing they think about is the company, and they lose their perspective on how, quote, normal, unquote, people act and think. And I think that's happened to Facebook a lot. I think they think sharing is great, and the more sharing is even better. Uh, but the rest of the world doesn't necessarily agree. 
Yeah, there is a world outside of Facebook, and um, but Dan, and I want you need to tell Wanda about that because I don't think she knows that. <laughs> but Dan, thank you very much for joining us. Um, we have a, a a brief segment coming up, but I want to thank you for joining us as usual. It's a pleasure. Um, everyone, check out Dan on esarcasm dot com. Anything else you want to? Um, they they want you. Want, they should find you at Dan. Oh, there's too many places. Just Google me. Okay, Google Dan Tynan and. Um, when you find his home telephone number, call him late at night. <laughs> but um, thank you very much. And um, we have Rebecca Madigan standing by. And um, Rebecca, are you with us? I am here. Yes, thank you. Rebecca, congratulations on um, your hard work in Sacramento. It appears that um, we, you've won a reprieve for California affiliates. Thank you. Yes. Yes, we did a reprieve for one year. I wish it was permanent, but we'll take what we can get <laughs> for, for now. We'll keep fighting. And um, it's, it seems that, um, you know, that, that was, that was um, touch and go for quite some time. Now, you have a very big event coming up in, in two weeks, and unfortunately, I cannot attend. Um, I have a, a, a court appearance that has me under the coast. But um, tell me, um, why don't you tell us about your, your event in Washington coming up? Yeah, thanks, Bennett. Um, it is uh, just just as a little bit of background. You know, uh, the Performance Marketing Association. We are a trade association that represents affiliate marketers, and we have been very active in this fight against the Amazon tax, what we call the affiliate nexus tax. Our small businesses in our industry, and there are over two hundred thousand. They've they're the ones that get devastated when these laws pass in various states. Um, Out-of-state retailers stop advertising on affiliate advertising websites to avoid having to collect sales tax when these laws pass. So we've seen a a devastation in income for these small businesses. And uh, we've been fighting this for, gosh, over three years now. And we have some tremendous allies and have had tremendous access to policymakers um, on the business side as well as uh, on the legislative and regulatory side um, because because no one really wants to hurt these small businesses. We just happen to be this unintended consequence. And so as a result, um, we have we have great access to to some of these policymakers that are actually shifting the policy debate today about sales tax in the internet. And so we are hosting an event October 25th in Washington, D.C., which we're simply calling sales tax in the internet. And we have this amazing lineup. I I think there's going to be, it's almost like a real time debate is going to happen at this, at this event um, about what's going on. It's at the Marriott Wardman in in D.C. Which is a huge place, a great facility, so yes. if, um, for those of you who haven't been, who haven't been to Washington, D.C., it's right by the zoo. Um, it's a great location and close to downtown. Yes, it's it's wonderful. And, and we're we're really just excited about um, who do you have? Who do you have speaking? Well, I, I, I want to mention our, our I think one of the more exciting speakers um, uh, is Paul Meisner, who is vice president of global public policy for Amazon. And as you know, Amazon just did this deal in California, uh, which resulted in a one-year repeal of the law. Amazon has agreed to collect sales tax in California because they're going to build distribution centers. Amazon has been extremely quiet in the press about what they're doing um, and and. Uh, Paul has agreed to break Amazon's silence at our event and talk about their shifted 
uh, sales tax strategy and what they think what they're going to do uh, in terms of lobbying for federal solution. And, and I think what, what Amazon is doing is really going to have a major impact on the outcome of sales tax collection in this country. Um, their shift to supporting federal legislation um, is going to be very significant. And they're now on the same side as, as big retailers like Walmart. And, and the large retail associations. So I think the combining efforts of Amazon and uh, these, these big box retailers is going gonna, is gonna to cause a major shift. And I think – and this event is, is really targeted towards tax and, and, and uh, legal professionals and uh, retail executives who really want to see – their businesses are going to be impacted one way or the other. And this is a chance to see it unfold. And that's October 24th? 25th, Tuesday, 25th? October 25th. October 25th get information. in Washington, D.C. Yep. And where can they get information, Rebecca? Our, our website's the easiest place, performancemarketingassociation.com. And for listeners to the show, we've got a 10% discount. You could just type in the discount code of ILC10, Internet Law Center 10, and uh, get a 10, 10% discount as well. Well, thank you very much, Rebecca. It's always a pleasure, and congratulations um, and I'm sorry I won't be able to attend the event, but everyone, it's definitely one not to be missed. Thanks, so, um, Bennett. Appreciate thanks again, Rebecca. I hope to talk to you afterwards. Thanks. All right. Um, I think what we're going to do now is take a short break. and we come back, we're going to talk about the, the, the crossfire going on on net neutrality. The FCC is being um, shot at from both sides after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Looking for an affiliate network that can package every solution an advertiser or publisher needs in one account? Your one-stop source for full-service solutions is AdMedia.com. AdMedia delivers an incredible lineup of specialized XML feeds for local, social, and search, plus the advertising arsenal of PPC, SEM, contextual, display, and more. AdMedia gives your campaign real visibility, from emailers to domain redirects. AdMedia tailors your all-in-one campaign to give your account a real advantage. AdMedia.com delivers cost-effective ad solutions with real conversions. Learn everything AdMedia can do for you today. Sign up at AdMedia.com. AdMedia, strong ROI made simple. MySEOTool.com is your all-in-one SEO management resource. MySEOTool.com makes it easy to optimize and oversee all of your SEO efforts. Line-by-line detailed reports help you identify any problems and show you how to fix them. MySEOTool.com is completely automated. Once you use it, you will see a rise in your search rankings and traffic. Try MySEOTool risk-free today. Go to MySEOTool.com. MySEOTool.com. On the road. On the boat. Working out. Or up in the air. Now you can listen to WebmasterRadio.fm on the go from anywhere. Look for WebmasterRadio.fm on TuneIn. Available for download on your iPhone, iPad, BlackBerry, Android, Palm, Samsung, and Windows Phone. As well as Google TV, Yahoo TV, and Roku. Tune in to WebmasterRadio.fm on the go from anywhere. By downloading TuneIn right now. 
WebmasterRadio.fm. We really are everywhere. Okay, just waiting for Bennett to get Matt on the line. That's fine. Hello, you have reached Florentina Regulescu at Food Press. I am unable to answer the phone at this time, so please leave your name, number, and a message after a tone, and I will return your call as soon as possible. Please hold while I try that extension. One moment, please. Well, that was the extension I tried, and I guess... I think I have them. Hello? Hi, looking for Matt Wood, please. George from WebmasterRadio.fm calling for him. Hello. Hi, this is Jen. Sorry, it was on a headphone set. That's okay. I'm looking for Matt Wood. Hi, yes. Hold on one second and let me transfer you. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. This is Matt. Hi, Hi, Matt. Matt. It's George from WebmasterRadio.fm here with Bennett Kelly for the radio program. Sure. Hi, how are you? Hi, sorry, our, our last segment ran a little bit over. Oh, it's okay. Um, I had no problem. I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't missing you guys. Oh, no. Oh, you're fine. Um, we're thrilled to have you. Yeah. How do you like to be introduced, Matt? Oh, it's just Matt Wood, policy director at Free Press, whatever. Okay. What to do with that? All right. Um, probably just do a quick intro to... Um, 30 you, seconds. Just... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Just say um, you know, who Free Press is and then um, jump into net neutrality. Okay, great. 20. Great, okay. Okay. All right, hang on, everyone. We'll get back in here. In your mind, grab your mouse, and get ready to get back to the basics. SEO 101. Catch us Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the search engine optimization channel only on webmasterradio.fm. Don't get caught in a web of confusion. Learn the ropes on webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly with Cyber Law um, and <laughs> Business Report. And um, on a very rainy day here in California, but um, it may be soggy here. It's heating up in Washington over the issue of net neutrality and no person and no group has been more central to that fight that issue than free press um and we have with us their policy director uh, matt wood matt are you with us i'm here thanks a lot matt um just by way of background um you know, free press they've been very involved um and in starting more or less more or less a provocateur of the debate um, with its initial actions against ComSat several years ago. But why don't you tell us a little bit about um, who Free Press is and, and how they've gotten involved in the issue of net neutrality. Sure. Uh, Free Press is a nationwide, nonpartisan nonprofit that works on media reform and Internet policy issues. We really do believe strongly that we need a stronger and more diverse media and Internet landscape in order for democracy to flourish, to get you know different people owning these channels and also different voices on the air and online. And we see net neutrality as central to that. It's been around for about a decade now. Started really in the context of the media ownership fights at the FCC at the beginning of the century, I guess it's fair to say. 
but you know, quickly got into the internet space as well. And we really see this as a continuing struggle against a lot of the same people. You know, when you have Comcast, you mentioned the the net neutrality violations that they were caught red-handed in a few years ago. You know, that's a media company, that's an internet company. So we see a lot of the same uh, repeat players popping up and threatening to choke off competition, choke off voices in the uh, internet and media space. And that's why we see net neutrality as you know one of the most important things we do. But it fits in with other things as well. Let's let's go very quickly through a kind of a timeline. It seemed that this issue really um, took off, you know, partly in response to a Supreme Court decision that allowed um, kind of a separate treatment of uh, the internet. Um, it was not being treated as common carrier as a, as a phone service would be, for example. But then, what really seemed to um, make the issue catch fire was a statement by the chairman of AT and T. That said, that you know, if Google and the others think they're going to use my wires for free, they're nuts. Right. And yeah, you're seemed- exactly right. I mean, that's all happening around the same time. The Supreme Court decision is is Brand X, which was a company that tried to force open the cable modem platform, mm-hmm. and to have more common carrier-like treatment applied to cable internet access. And uh, the Supreme Court didn't say that the FCC was correct. You know, when you get into the details of Supreme Court rulings, they didn't bless that FCC determination that Internet access services should be treated differently. But what they did is they said the FCC has the discretion to make that call over the dissent of Justice Scalia, of all people, because you wouldn't necessarily think that he would be uh, you know, fighting for a more inclusive regulatory regime. But at the time, he said that the FCC was actually wrong, that this really was a telecommunications platform and should be treated in the same manner as a common carrier telephone service. We think that's the right view, and we'd love to see the FCC grounding these net neutrality rules on a stronger authority basis. And, but, and so, um, you know, we're happy enough with the rules. We just think that they need to be improved, and that the, what the FCC adopted last year wasn't quite strong enough. Okay, so in, in 2006, this movement, kind of the Save the Internet movement, um, right. which you guys are very, your your organization is very much behind, um, uh, pops up. And you you see celebrities and you know uh, Moby and a whole bunch of people and a, a million signatures submitted to Congress in support of net neutrality, and then in an opposing net neutrality, industry says that you know all the things that you guys warned about would never happen. Right. Um, so you know, there would never be bandwidth caps. There would never be discrimination. There would never be. And it seems that what's happened over time, and maybe you can fill it in the audience, um, that. A, Basically, everything they said would never happen is slowly starting to happen. And beginning with what you, your complaint against Comcast, where they were you know, they were throttling certain um, internet users um, for going to disfavored websites. Right. I mean, and the, the rationale that Comcast put forward there for throttling back on torrents, on, on BitTorrent in particular, is that they need to manage their network, and the congestion hurts all users. And you know, we're not ignoring the fact that there might be congestion, but what Comcast eventually did, after being caught red-handed there, is they went to a much more rational and reasonable method for addressing any actual congestion issues they might have. So you know, congestion on the network is something that happens at a particular time and place, and it doesn't call for and really shouldn't permit these very blunt approaches that companies have uh, taken in Comcast's case, or at least suggested they need to take, which is cutting back on all traffic from a certain type of application or a certain site, you know, going after bandwidth hogs, to use the, uh, the all-too-common cliche, by shutting down all streaming video or everything coming from a certain type of website. We certainly see that as a, a very overbroad attempt to manage what is legitimate congestion on the network 
but you know that's something that happens at a certain time, a certain place in the network, not something that should be solved by shutting down whole websites, whole classes of traffic. And, and that's really what companies have done more often than not when they've attempted to do this. There, there are a whole bundle of issues, you know, companies doing things that we think wouldn't be possible in a truly competitive market. You talk about bandwidth caps. Uh, we can also talk about the treatment of text messages, you know, things that seem very diverse but yet have a common thread here, which is the FCC's unwillingness to this point in time to really step up and make these regulatory distinctions and determine exactly how we're going to treat and then protect online content and make sure that people do have access to the lawful content of their choice. And it's not the ISP in the middle who's deciding winners and losers, but it really is Internet users and people online who can determine which uh, sites and which applications really take off. So your complaint that led to a sanction against Comcast, and yeah, there was no monetary much, sanction. I'm it was sorry. just a, a slap on the wrist, you know, bad, bad boy. Exactly. Um, yeah. And um, you know, no, no soup for you. And um, and Comcast appealed, and and they won the appeal. They found that there was no um, basis, you know, then no statutory authority or regulatory authority for the FCC to do what um, they had done. And so then the FCC begins the regulatory process, and and that's where, where we are now. And Congress is, you know, the Republicans in Congress up in arms um, on one side, and the Verizon and Comcast as well are, are opposed to what they're doing, um, saying that they don't have authority. And it's, um, I believe, um, Representative Blackburn has called called it um, the equivalent of uh, the Iron Curtain. Yeah. Uh, and um, and then. But in the other hand, so there, Verizon has filed a lawsuit this week against the, the regulations that are just being released, and but you filed a lawsuit as well. And tell us what what is um, the basis for your lawsuit? So uh, a lot of ground there that you're covering really well. But to go back for just a second, yeah, Comcast sure. did get essentially a slap on the wrist. The FCC had at that time just general principles in this area and no that actual rules. Chairman Powell, and, right? Exactly, and you know that was seen as a pretty good compromise at the time, but Comcast went and challenged that, and they said, well, you can't enforce principles against us. There were no rules on the books. Comcast had a, had a big victory there, but maybe a bigger one than they wanted, because when the rules were struck down, or I'm sorry, I guess I should say the principles were questioned, and the court said there was no authority for them, that's what led to this larger proceeding and the, uh, the uh, adoption of these current rules that just finally were published last a couple weeks ago in the Federal Register. So, you know, Comcast was actually making more of a procedural challenge, and the court said, well, wait a minute, the FCC doesn't have authority, at least as they've expressed it thus far, to adopt these kinds of principles. And so you get to this current time frame where the FCC has moved forward. You know, they've gone through that process again. They've adopted official rules. As you said, Verizon is, is suing to strike them down. Our lawsuit is based on a different aim, to say the least. Well, we think the FCC is the right agency to do this. We think that there is a need for this kind of consumer protection and preserving open, openness online and on the Internet. But we don't think that the rules as adopted by the FCC at the tail end of last year were strong enough. Our chief complaint, though not our only one, is that the rules provided very minimal protections for wireless Internet connections and wireless Internet users. And we think that the FCC didn't have a record to justify that, that you know, there really is one Internet. Obviously, there are differences in the different types of network architectures and the technologies involved there. You might have different types of network management necessary on wired and wireless networks, but we certainly believe that the same principles should apply. And uh, the order that the FCC put out did not do that. It, it carved out a lot of exemptions for wireless service. 
And for those who aren't familiar with the FCC, the FCC is a is an independent agency, and right. um, unlike, um, for example, uh, a, a Department of Labor or some other organization which can, would put out a regulation, um, you know, they're they're independent. They have to they're governed by the Administrative Procedures Act, and um, their regulations and their determinations can be challenged in, in court, as as you guys have done. Um, right. So they they have to be. They have to be shown to be fulfilling their statutory mandate. Is that, right. that a I mean, fair it's summary? It's an interesting creature. You know, any federal regulation can be challenged, but the FCC is, as you said, independent. So the, the commissioners are appointed by the president, but then there's actually a large oversight role for Congress. And you mentioned Representative Blackburn. You know, this, this shouldn't be a partisan issue. It's something that companies are in favor of, the content companies. People used to say sometimes Internet companies, but my question back to people today is, well, who's not an Internet company at this point? You know, everybody is relying on the Internet to some degree to get their products out there, to connect with their customers. So companies like Google, uh, like Amazon, I heard mentioned in the last segment, you know, they're, they're big companies, too, in creating a lot of jobs, uh, innovating quite a bit in this space. They've been in favor of the rules. In fact, even AT&T, since you mentioned them and uh, the famous statement about not using our pipes for free, even AT&T decided at the end of the process last year that they could live with this version of the net neutrality rules, and they're not challenging. Right now, it really is just down to Verizon who is taking this to court, and I wouldn't pretend that other ISPs aren't kind of cheering them on, but you know, for the most part, you know, we weren't quite happy with the compromise that was reached, and that's why we're suing to try to make the rules better. I don't know if AT&T was jumping up and down about the rules, but you know, most people were at peace, at least in some measure, with these rules that were adopted. And what we're seeing now is really a push just by Verizon and potentially a few other companies that might jump in. And then by, frankly, very extreme elements in Congress who are trying to say that this is content regulation, this is the fairness doctrine for the Internet. It's really censorship. No it's, yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, just, there's it, nothing to the Iron Curtain statement because, if anything, you know, we would be running away from these rules, too, if we thought they were a way to regulate commerce or content online. They're really just about keeping the channels open and clear so that neither the government nor big companies can step into the middle and control what you and I can access on the Internet. We only got a limited amount of time. If, if people want to learn about you know, what exactly is net neutrality, because that always seems to be the first hurdle, what's the best, what are some places you would recommend that they look? Well, I mean, you mentioned our website, and not to be too much of a self-promoter, but I think at, at freepress.net and savetheinternet.com, that was a, a broader effort, um, but it's something which, which, as you said, Free Press has been very involved in. There's a lot of groups that we work on this issue with here in D.C., um, so there, there's been a lot of press coverage as the debate has gone on, but I think you know our site will point people to a lot of that coverage as well. Um, other groups have worked on these issues, too, uh, Public Knowledge Media Access Project, Center for Democracy and Technology, so there's been a cadre of people defending this. And I think, you know, I'm trying to be objective here. I, I think that the net neutrality proponents have been very willing to come to the table and discuss this over time. The debate has come a long way since 2005 when it was more lines in the sand and people, you know, on, on very much opposite ends of the spectrum. As I said, obviously, you know, we're in court for a reason. We aren't happy with where we wound up last year with the FCC, and that's why we're challenging. But, you know, I think the general principle is pretty widely accepted at this point. It's just that there are still a few companies and a few uh, politicians holding out. Yeah, and, uh, one, one body, one, one chamber of the House. Um, but I want to thank you very much. I, I'm sorry we don't have enough time, but um, I, I hope you consider coming back as this case progresses. And um, and just as a, a resource, um, I've posted on the Internet Law Center blog, which is the uh, ILC um, cyberreport.wordpress.com, as well as on the um, cyberreport um um, blog 
to um, some basic videos and some um, infographics on net neutrality. So um, if you need, you know, check them out for more information. And um, next week, um, it's one thing to lose an election based on something you said. It's another thing to lose an election based on something someone said under your name without you knowing it. We have a unique case in Rhode Island where there's a legislature who was undone by a false email to spread around saying he supported something using his name. And um, there's actually been a criminal conviction about it, and it's first of its kind, and we're going to talk about it next week. I hope you'll join us, and um, for now, the court is adjourned. Thank you for joining us on, on Cyber Law and Business Report. This is Bennett Kelly from the Internet Law Center in Santa Monica saying so long. Listen to us on iTunes and webmasterradio.fm and visit the Internet Law Center at internetlawcenter.net and our blog, ilccyberreport.wordpress.com. Bye, all. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.